Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Take two. It's Ken Dashow's okay. Beetle Revolution. One, two, three, four. On iHeartRadio. Dave Davies is my special guest. 1964, this year that changed the world musically. And for us in America, we've always called it the British Invasion. Beatles, Stones, Who, Kinks. There are other bands. There are other bands that were part of it. But it's Beatles, Stones, The Who, The Kinks. And it's something that you said to me way back when. You hate the term British Invasion. Would you mind explaining? Yeah, I always thought it was a bit kind of... Cheesy, if they call me like. <laughs> no, I know Americans have to call everything something. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Yeah. You're right. But it's, it's quaint as well. But um, I never liked that British invasion. Like we were actually at war with the Americans. No, in a way, musically, I guess. But we learned everything. Most of our growing up was listening to American music. Everything from. Hank Williams to Eddie Cochran to, you know, Chuck Berry, of course. Now, right. Where would rock be without Chuck Berry? It wouldn't be rock. It, and that was the sad part is that Chuck Berry, Little Richard, and all these giants. Little that, Richard, yeah, unbelievable. They built this sound. But at that point, early 60s, they're, kind, they're there, but we're listening to all this generic white bread. Pat Boone is on the top of the charts. Oh, and wow. Tutti yeah. Frutti. Oh, right. And we were we were killing <laughs> hey, it. Yeah, it was just awful. And it almost it's like you brought the blues. We copied guys up like people like Lead Belly and I know Howling Wolf was sensational. How did you guys hear these records in London? How did you hear them? Well, as a not on the radio, <laughs> right? Because BBC wasn't playing but them. Me and Pete Quaife, the original bass player of the Kinks, me and Pete used to hang out a lot in in markets. In the West End of London, and there was a, a, a store called Dobell's, and it was renowned for getting records you couldn't buy, get, get anywhere else. Like they had, I bought a record there by Sleepy John Estes on Blue Note, and all these labels that people weren't familiar mainly with at the time. And you could get anything unusual, and uh, and came across some great stuff in that little shop. Like Howling Wolf, John Lee Hooker, amazing guitar songs. It's amazing. I mean, the BBC not only isn't playing that, they fought tooth and nail to keep your music off the radio. Well, yeah, we had a lot of problems when we first had You Really Got Me Out. We had problems recording it because engineers didn't like recording that gruff, edgy, distorted sound. They would say, that's distorted, that's not proper. Oh, to, you can't recall that, surely. <laughs> I mean, no imagination. But, you know, they, they learned the, what, the new culture of musicians. This is where we're going. It's like impressionist music. Very much so. The Beatles got all this music coming off the boats, all the sailors, 
would bring this music, they to always Liverpool. said, to Liverpool yeah. on the docks. And John and Paul always said, that's where we all heard it, just like you. And the same thing, where Brian Epstein brings all this demo down to London. Every record company turns them down, these chimney sweeps from <laughs> up north. Who wants to record that? And finally, he gets a deal with the comedy producer. And thank God they've got a 19-year-old engineer named Jeff Emmerich, oh, who, Jeff, yeah. may he rest in peace, one of the sweetest men yeah, I ever yeah. got to meet, yeah. who said, I'm too new and too stupid to know you're not supposed to distort the, the channels and the amps. And they'd say, turn it up louder. So I did. Make it more distorted. So I did. How about even more? Okay. When you think of a lot of the, the music the, the Kinks listened to, even before Kinks, the records like, I'm Hug For You Baby, and you play that record now, and you can hear there's a, a sibilant kind of distortion on vocals, but it sounds sonically so, oh, you want to get up and dance. It's, you know, it was happening before people knew what it was, but they liked it. You know, it's like one of those things that you, you hear and like and you don't know why. <laughs> but when that, everything changed. You, you know? did, and so much of the change of the sound goes back to the gentleman sitting right here. Other people were fooling around with it. Other people loved it. But as he said, the world went from proper music to... Whatever that is. Whatever that is, <laughs> to rock and roll. And I maintain, and I will argue with anyone, that you and your razor blade <laughs> changed oh, the yeah. sound of rock and roll. Would you mind telling this story? Well, I was always experimenting with all kinds of things as a kid. So it's really into science fiction and I'd make all weird gadgets up out of things that shouldn't go together really <laughs> and get thrown across the room with electric electricity and <laughs> shocks and then. and one day I wanted to get a different sound. I didn't know what it was. How old are you? Oh, 14, 15. Jeez. And, uh, you know, I, I'd learned five or six chords and I knew it all, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, but there was a, a store near where we lived, a shop. But, um, he had this little green amplifier in the window. And I thought, oh, you know, what sort of sound can I get out of this thing? And he, I paid £10 for it, which had quite a lot. Yeah, really. 14 15 Yeah. yeah and um, I plugged it in, and it was sounding just like everything else. <laughs> until I maxed it out, and I got so fed up with it that... Um, I just learned to shave at that time. <laughs> so young I was. At 15? Yeah. Jeez. And I, I slashed the um, cone of the speaker. I don't know why, just because it was there. And I didn't really expect it to even work. And out came that rasping, raucous sound. And we hooked it up to another amp. And that, as I say, is how it happened. But um, That sound? Nobody wanted to record it. Even the first... Recording, you already got me. It was all swamped in echo, and, and uh, Ray went ballistic when he heard that first. And we refused to release it because it's not us. You know, we were kind of a rough and ready, grungy little garage band. They, used, you know, and um, we wanted it to sound real. Dave, it's 2019, and I'm playing that song today, and we're playing that song today, and it has never left. That's how right you were. And the rest of the world was wrong. It took a bit of time, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of think of myself more as a, at time, more of an inventor than a musician. 
But being a musician is like being an inventor. Oh, in or so you many think ways. You're, you think you'll think of something new, but everything's been done. But it's not what you do, it's the way that you do it. Right. <laughs> you it, know, it's like intent. And when you were touring, now you start to get a little, you know, people are coming to clubs and the tours start. Was there an intense competition? Kinks, Beatles, Stones, who you're running all over the UK and running all over Europe. What was the feeling about you guys to the Beatles or the Stones or the other bands? Well, I think everybody was kind of holding their cards up close to them. <laughs> but I'm sure that secretly we were all listening to each other's work. Yeah, and You can tell when you listen to... It's like um, one of my favourite... Beatles records. Yeah. I want to hold your hand. Yeah, and those guitar breaks much heavier than what, than what the it Beatles was. would have done or did previously. So yeah, you guys released. You really got me. July of '64. Next August '64. Beatles give us twist and shout. You were all doing the fuzzed out guitars. All kind of listening to each other and boring a bit there and boring a bit there. So, but we never collaborated really. Only by um listening right but everybody's <laughs> nicking a little something and Mu- everything all the music was so different that, that was kind of a, a lucky twist of fate that the Yardbirds and uh, the kinks were big fans of each other because the music was different enough to you know not get in each other's way of it and so um, but then the stones are very different and the Be- Beatles of course had their own vibe and style and so that was the lucky bit that all these bands coming out of England and they were all sounding different, all had their own style and approach. But they're all based mainly based on American music. We were, you know, all big Buddy Holly fans. You know, what's where you got our source material and the blues, of course. Lead Belly was a big influence on me because of all those riffs, great guitar riffs. Clapton said that when he was doing Cream, he almost felt guilty because he said, I'm just regurgitating every song I ever heard from Chicago and Mississippi and just (laughs) cranking the guitar up. And people are going crazy. And all I kept thinking was, why don't you listen to Lead Belly? Why don't you listen to, you know. The original music, the blues, yeah. No, it was uh, um, interesting times. Anything that worked, you know, I was a bit of... A wild kid. Try this, try that. Yeah. Also, we're big fans of a guy called Lonnie Donegan. All of you guys. Skiffle He seems a bit of an unsung hero in a way because he brought a lot of this lay belly blues come country music to England. And he, you know, he changed it a little bit. This word, better that. And he had a record out that was a big hit in England called. Rock Island Line. Dave, let me play a couple of bars of Rock Island Line so people know who Lonnie Donegan is. Oh, well, the Rock Island Line is in a mighty good road. The Rock Island Line is a road to ride in. The Rock Island Line is a mighty good road. And if you want to ride, you got to ride it like a fight. You get your ticket at the station on the Rock Island Line. Uh. We had it here. Rock Island Line was here. But I'm telling you, Paul McCartney, Dave Davies, everybody, Skiffle Music and Lonnie Donegan. The way that he did it. You though, guys it have him on a pedestal. And we, we heard it, but it didn't resonate for us the way it did for you. For us, or me, to the blues, really. I didn't even know what it was. I thought it was a, a fun, gritty record. Yeah. But he had a way of singing to his nose. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of 
boxing is do that or have done that naturally until they like how to sing from here. <laughs> <laughs> but they're all very nasally and yeah, yeah, rock on and lying. Yeah. And um, we loved that. It was so natural. It was, Lonnie was great because he kind of played banjo with a, a Dixieland band. So he had all the, the style of playing from the banjo and blues and I think he, he was a big, big influence. Well, and then we got into the kind of real deal, as it were, like getting a hold of these Johnny Hooker records. Muddy Waters, Howlin' oh, Wolf, all uh, of these guys who could play. Dave Davies, my special guest here in the studio, with a new old album out, I guess we could call old, it, yeah. a new old album called Decades, of all these amazing songs that you wrote and created in the 70s, that never seemed to find their way onto a Kinks record. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. I, th- I knew one day we'd get it out out there, but in the 70s, the Kinks were really busy, and Ray was working really hard in it on other projects, and uh, soap operas, and, <laughs> and, uh, and these songs really no- never saw a light of day, so I thought one day I would do them out, play the tapes, and, and see... What, how they sound, and uh, we managed to get we, I mean, me and my two son Martin and, and Simon Davis, listen to them, and we thought, produce this and really get it up to speed. And so I let my son Simon produce, and he did a great job marrying the kind of bit of new technology with, with uh, the original analog 70s kind of acoustic sounds that you can get then. And um, I'm very pleased about it, and very excited about it, and I'm pr- promoting it as we speak. Uh, is it out? Can we buy it? Yep, we can. If you just did Google Dave Davies Decades, yeah. and you will find it. Dave Davies, my guest. Um, I get that in 64, I get that the BBC and proper British society didn't think much of you ruffians and these gruffs making all this noise. There were some d- good DJs coming up, though. But they were on Car- Radio Caroline, right? Yeah. They were on the pirate radio. Did so, you ever go out on the show? Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, any where and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus yep. i was talking just before the show to a guy called david simons yeah who was a big dj of that you know ilk yeah. of that it was a brilliant dj and who helped us a lot of our music did you ever go out on the ship to the pirate no. radio? Peter Asher was here and said they would arrange a rendezvous on the beach like you were doing undercover work. Yeah, and as the sun said, they'd pick you up in a skiff and take you out and do all this. Here's the thing I've always thought, Dave, is at 64, I understand why they didn't get it. And they fought tooth and nail to stop rock and roll. We've got to shut down. We've got to blow up this ship because it's corrupting the youth of England. And the same thing was happening here. Yeah. By 67, I mean, literally three years later, what you guys are creating is the number one export of the UK. You've topped British Steel. Even if you hate it, just in terms of dollars, Beatles, Stones, Who, Kinks, yada, yada, how could you not understand that the world is starving 
for your next record, for your next music. It's a lot of it to do with just just naturalness. You know, if you figure that Ray and I used to listen to a guy called Big Bill Brunzi. yep. And, like, it was um, sensational. I mean, the hair stand up on your neck, you know, listening to this music. And it was so authentic, so natural. And it, it was came out as it was supposed to. And I think... I think we latched onto that naturalness of like the Kinks. When we went into the studio, we were trying to knock all that roughness and naturalness and authenticness, authenticity out of the music, and it was shallow. And yeah, not what it was supposed to be. And so that's that's a problem we had, you know. And yet, I'll tell you this: guitars aren't supposed to sound that <laughs> rude or. Loud. I, but I go back and I'll listen to, you know, Muswell Hillbillies, Village Green Preservation Society. And to me, it's still the kink sound. But just as the Beatles went from I Want to Hold Your Hand to Revolver to like Tomorrow Never Knows right. going psychedelic. And the Who, Pete Townsend said, I've taken this as far as I can go. Crap, I'm going to try a rock opera, as crazy as that sounds. As everybody was exploring different avenues, to me... It never stopped sounding like Dave's guitar on the records. You know, even with all your brother's poetries and your concept things and whatever, it still, picture book, still sounds like you playing guitar. It's still, da da da. I still hear the kink sound coming through yeah, your guitar. You should do, because it's all a part of the same makeup, the genetic makeup, the vibe of when we started in growing up in Muswell Hill with all that beautiful music. Because, you know, Ryan and I had. Grew up with like uh, six sisters. And wow. They, and they were bringing all their music, like everything from like Al Jolson to Elvis to Little Richard to Fats Domino was a big. Because you can dance to it you know, on yeah. Saturday night. That um, my sisters had put Fats Domino on a radiogram. We had a radiogram. <laughs> and that bopping, dancing music. It was like. Such a wealth of influences growing up in, in, in the, the house. Before we started, we were talking about how we started, what this meant, and how long we've both been doing this. Dave, longer than me. But I started building a little with a little soldering iron and building a little radio station from a kid. <laughs> as a kid, then in high school, as everybody's going to take special training so they can get into med school, I'm selling pizzas at school to raise money to buy a four-watt transmitter <laughs> in order to in order to buy, get a little radio station cool. going. Great. And you were starting a record company. <laughs> yeah, I had, when I was 11, I had this notebook. 11. Eleven yeah, and I had a notebook and um it had like people like oh, I can't remember their names, like George Lewis or these strange names I make up that were based on people like Rick Nelson right. and Joey like, Lee. In Lewis. your head you were running a yeah, record. Yeah, I had company. this record company and I made up with tunes that were similar to the tunes they would have had these artists would have had out. But it kind of really was embedded in me music and what new things you could do with music. It's the one through line that every single person who has sat here has said to me, there's nothing else that you wanted. There was nothing else that turned you on except for music. When Randy Bachman was here, after the Guess Who blew up, he said, my plan B was stick to plan A. 
And he, oh, was... everybody asked, what would you have done if I had been, if you hadn't been a successful guitarist songwriter? He said, I would have been an unsuccessful guitarist songwriter. If it's in your have... blood and you want to do it, you got to do it, you know. And it's it's become rock and roll's you know, it's, I think it's become a, a major force of the good despite its ups and downs in the history. It would be from like the early days of it being the devil's music and all this crap. <laughs> it was a, a means for young people to find identity. You know, who, you know, we, we all ponder those things. Like we, who am I? Why am I here? And you look up at stars and think, what am I doing? <laughs> right. You know, and like we all ask these questions and I think art is the best way to get ideas out, even if you don't know what you're doing. By the time you've tried a few things, you might know a little bit. It's all in the trial and the error and copying great people. And I was really bad at copying people, you know, like uh, trying to copy some lead believers and it'd come out different. So I realised it's called improvisation. Right. So all the mistakes were improvised. Right. That's the thing I don't hear today. The mistakes are the magic of rock and roll. If but everything's are, on the computer, you don't get it. That's why it sounds lifeless to me. There's no mistakes. If it speeds up, it speeds up. It's feel. It's the old notion about feel and groove and all these words that musicians, it feels right. It's, there's got to be something going on in there. When it's all clinical and worked out and shaped. Quantized and all oh, that. To me, it man, takes the guts is out. That, is that really that good? Yeah. The accident happens, or if you're lucky, accidents right. happen. It turns the music around in some strange way. You know, it's like it's like a Zen thing, really. It's like I can't remember the word now, but in Zen, there's this state or word called da. I think it's da or something like that. And it's like things that are going on when we're not conscious of it. And so many times you go, you get out on stage. And you're playing, and you go into that zone. And it's a very common space to be in when you're a musician. I think, well, I think all the, the really great, inspiring musicians go into that place. And it, no one really knows how to switch that button. Or but turn it just that happens sometimes. It's that feeling thing. It's all feeling. There's energy, and it's, it's, it's interesting. A friend who's a classical pianist from London, she's just getting going, Harriet Stubbs, and yeah. she says when she plays, she goes, so it's, how was it? She says, we were out in the fields. I said, what do you mean? And she said, there was no we don't know. There was no hall, there was no orchestra, there was no audience. Yeah. It was just me and Rachmaninoff. Oh, it was just, wow, and it was cool. just us. And she said, I really, I don't see anything or feel anything. It's just the music and it's just happening. And I, that's, a lot to, that's what you said. That's what, even like... You know, untrained musicians growing up in a small house in in Muswell Hill. It happens to everybody. If you've got a heart, good heart and inspiration, we all need people to inspire us to do things. And then it opens up, the more you do it, it opens up these spaces in our world of, like, magnificence, really, a feeling. And, and you know, I think the word love is not properly appreciated, but it's... A real force in music and art. God, what a miserable world it would be without Chuck Berry and Amen to that. For sure. McCartney said, you know, he's walking around singing yesterday for days on end before Lennon says, we write some words to that. He goes, is this Bach? He goes, just write some words to it. That and Eleanor Rigby. 
this little song that you it could have been a novelty song that's just a throwaway ditty about you know a transvestite named Lola and uh, went to a club cherry cola and it's a cute song so from the day you release it again till today it has never left the airwaves yeah. when you finish a song like that is there ever a sense of like well that's going to last forever i think in those early and even now i think that um why as a writer i mean as a family we were always pretty um out there with ideas Ray's kind of got like a sixth sense about people and about music and how you put it together, and it's not calculated. You don't sit down and like a maths equation. You just kind of do it, and the feeling of enjoyment and love between you as you're doing it, it happens not on its own, but it's kind of like happening on its own. It's like you get helped, I think, in some mystical way. When the feelings are right. It's organic. His poetry, your riffs, and songs that last, that really mean something. We talked about Pete Townsend and, you know, Is It Me for a Moment, the story of Quadrophenia. Jimmy, who doesn't know who he is, is he a mod or a rocker? And the Beatles always asking that question, you know, what's out there across the universe? Looking for love. Love is the answer. The word is love. All you need is love. And there's a song you wrote that, again, you could have written it this morning for its timeliness called Living on a Thin Line that absolutely crushes me. It's so beautifully told, learning in all the storybooks about the kings and queens of old, the what, castles where, are burned. What is it? I think where that song came from was like, I was actually writing, started writing the song about the kings. Really? Yeah, and I was hoping Ray would sing it. And I started, and as I was writing the first verse and the next verse, I thought, it's not just about me. It's not just about the band. It's about everybody who's listening. It's about people. Where do we come from? What do we bring to our culture? Or, or, and, uh, and suddenly it made me realize we're all involved in this. Whether you like it or not, yeah. we are. And it's very personal. But it's also very universal, a lot, a lot of these ideas. I tend to write like that from me, how I feel, and then including things around me, then the people, and then all of us, because we're all in, in it together. Dave Davies, the new album of classic material, decades, just released, just remastered, and it is absolutely gorgeous. And last question, I'm sorry to bring it up on the subject of touring. You and Ray, there's been were rumors we're going to work on a project. He jumped up once at Christmas last year in London. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. That was fun. Uh, what projects are happening? What it What is happening in Kink's world, if anything? Well, we've got the Kink's reissue coming out this year. It's 50 years of Arthur album right. and the fall of the British Empire. <laughs> subtle. It's subtle. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, that's been reissued with some added tidbits and outtakes and things and Ray's putting finishing t touches to that in England and we're going to go back and work on some old archive tapes that, we haven't, that haven't been out before so there's a lot going on in the background so who knows see how we, get, see how we go so, yeah. you know I'll, I'll say it before I've said it again I say it on the air if you ever toured together again you know you begin by playing arenas and you would be at the O2 Arena. You'd be at Wembley. 
if you ever said we're doing it. Roy's got a different view on that. I know, but I'm right and he's wrong. <laughs> Probably. I'm, I, I'm just telling you. But I'm, it was always, but the thing is, the kinks were, it was always a small thing. We happened in a small way in a little three-bedroom, two-bedroom house, terrace house. And, you know, great things can come from smallness as well. It's like and all these sounds and ideas came out of this small house and the people lived in it. So I see what Ray, Ray's coming from. You know, rock and roll isn't just about arenas and 58,000-watt martial arts. <laughs> It's about feeling and intimacy and, you know, what's your problem, you know, I've got a problem. Everyone's got problems. Now is the best way to get these feelings out. So it can be small, or it can be O2, or it could be... From your flat in Muswell Hill to a little house on Menlove Avenue that John <laughs> lived in and Aunt Mimi with Paul. You gave us the music that lives forever. Dave Davies, thank you so much for coming by. Thank you, Ken. Always nice to see you, mate. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.